What's going on? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is heard live every day from noon to three on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content like invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with all the links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And again, thank you so much for your support. The email is pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. And... um on Twitter at Pete Kaliner. Uh So uh, congratulations to former president Donald Trump. He won his Michigan primary by like a two to one margin. Also congratulations to president Joe Biden. He easily won his primary in Michigan yesterday as well. Um, there was an interesting uh sub story if you will uh going on in the Michigan race over there for uh for the Democrat side apparently Joe Biden lost Dearborn Michigan lost it to uncommitted so which makes sense cuz it's i mean that that would be you know i would prefer a presidential candidate not locked up in an insane asylum versus one who is locked up in an insane asylum so that would say okay on the uncommitted i would want that candidate no, I'm kidding. This the uncommitted vote uh, statewide was about 14, 15 percent or so. Um, for comparison purposes, when Barack Obama ran for reelection in 2012, the uncommitted vote was about 11 percent. So what was this all about? This was a uh, an organized campaign among, well, Palestinian supporters, pro-Hamas folks, anti-Israel folks. There was sort of a, a coalition, if you will, a coalition of the anti-Semitic. And uh, they, I'm just kidding, hashtag not all Palestinian supporters are anti-Semitic, but um, a lot of them are, but, uh, but not all, not all. So you've got uh, this effort underway to convince Joe Biden to uh, take a harder line against Israel. And so there was this uh, campaign to vote for uncommitted in the primary in order to send a message. Okay, so uncommitted. All right, well, I don't think that this this same sort of effort was underway when Obama ran for re-election in 2012, right, 14 years ago, which is kind of crazy when you think about that that was 14 years ago, but it was. We're getting old. Four, so 11% 14 years ago, and now it's 14%. All right, so I got to believe that the uncommitted vote inside the Democrat primary in Michigan is going to be somewhere around 10%, right? Just all things being equal, if you're going to vote against Obama, you're going to vote uncommitted, not, and not even in Obama's first term, right? This was the second term when he was unopposed. So fine, uncommitted, I'm going to go 10%. That's sort of the baseline. There's going to be a disgruntled, uh, portion of the Democrat electorate in the in the Michigan primary, and about ten percent of them are just disgruntled versus the ninety percent that are gruntled, and uh, they're gonna the ten percent is gonna vote uncommitted, which means what? Which means there is a gross exaggeration of the the pro Palestine sentiment, the anti Israel sentiment, the pro ceasefire sentiment inside the Democrat Party. That's what that tells me, because if there's a baseline of roughly 10 percent 
and the uncommitteds only were able to pick up another 4% in the Democrat primary based largely on Dearborn, Michigan, which is like predominantly Muslim at this point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is as big a movement as the Bolsheviks want us to believe, you know? More so than any of the other primaries to date, the Michigan contest was a referendum of sorts on Biden's support for Israel in its war with Hamas. This is according to NBC News. Organizers of the Vote Uncommitted campaign, or the VUC, or as I call it, the VUC. That's a V, people. I'll call it the VUC. How about that? VUC, just so as to not risk FCC licensing. Um, the VUC hoped that it, uh, if they could cut into Biden's margin in Michigan, they could pressure him to change course and use his leverage with the Israeli government to pull back its forces. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. Uh, Biden doesn't really have a lot of leverage with the Israelis anymore because of his playing footsie with the Iranians. So maybe 10 years ago, Israel would have been like, Oh, okay. Well, all right, fine. I guess we'll do something different. Remember the Israelis. Remember at the start of the uh, the Gulf War, not ninety one. I guess this would have been the Iraq War. Okay, Gulf War was right. The invasion of Iraq to expel or yeah, Kuwait to expel them from uh, Kuwait. Anyway, when America invaded Iraq to depose Saddam Hussein and all that, um, do you remember they started launching missiles at Israel? And Israel withheld response, held back a response so as to not uh, prompt a wider war. Remember? I believe that was the Iraq invasion. It could have been the Gulf War. I don't remember. We've invaded Iraq a couple of times. I can't keep them all straight. So at one point, though, Iraq started throwing missiles towards Israel in order to get them in with the hope that if they got in and they started responding, then, you know, the the the. Uh, Arab world's hatred of the Jews would be, you know, so strong that it would compel them to enter into the fight as well. And it would spark this larger conflict. And so Iraq may be spared, you know, the full brunt of a one-on-one fight with America. So I don't think he's got the leverage anymore. Maybe back then the U.S. had some leverage over Israel, but I don't think it does anymore. What with the Iran deal that Biden has been, uh, you know, so hot to trot for. Also, October 7th changed the calculation. And all the polling that I have seen out of Israel, everybody's on board with this thing <laughs> in Israel. They're, they're, yeah, they're all pretty much on board. I mean, there are some people that are like ceasefire and people would like there to be a ceasefire, but the vast majority of Israelis, and by the way, the vast majority of Americans as well, are totally fine with a ceasefire if it is preceded by the release of the hostages, and the surrender of Hamas. That's always been on the table. Always. But Hamas won't do it, and the Palestinians won't do it. So here we are. If the uncommitted vote were to exceed 15% in any congressional district or statewide, Michigan will send at least some delegates to the Democrat National Convention in August who are not pledged to Biden. There's not much time for Biden to reunify a party that has splintered over the war, According to some Democrats, even if Biden were to bring about a ceasefire in Gaza, there would still need to be a healing period before Democrats were again comfortable with his leadership. According to Congressman Roe Khanna, 
Democrat from California, who met with students and Arab leaders in Michigan last week. Quote, there needs to be an urgent course correction. And by that, I don't mean months. I mean weeks. And there will have to be thinking and strategy for how we win back this community. I have an idea. You know me. I'm all about solutions. Okay? So here we go. Democrats, <clears throat> you want to win back this this all-important uh, 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 portion of your coalition. I would suggest offering up bounties for families of martyrs. You could pay these out of like the Democrat National Committee funds, right? You could pay a stipend, basically, a reward, if you will, to the families of anybody who, uh, you know, kills a whole bunch of Jewish people in, in Israel. I think like that would, there are already models in place for this kind of activity. I think you can ask uh, the Palestinians, well, okay, Hamas, Palestinian Authority, I think Egypt or Qatar might be in on some of this action, too. So, like, it's a pretty standard model. Uh, you could just ask some of those uh, people, uh, and they'll tell you how it works. All right. Hey, maybe you have heard by now DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to North Carolina. It's coming soon, on March 11th, to be exact. DraftKings is one of America's top-rated sports books with same-game parlays, money lines, and props. The best features like odds boost and live betting and social betting groups where you can share your bets with your friends in real time. DraftKings is safe, it's secure and reliable and best of all you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want and it all starts on March 11th. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and then place your bets on your favorite sports once it goes live and again it goes live on March 11th and now here's the disclaimer. Gambling problem? Call 877-718-5543 or visit morethanagame.nc.gov. 21 plus, North Carolina only. Eligibility restrictions apply, subject to regulatory licensing requirements, and see terms at draftkings.com slash sportsbook slash nc. All right, so uh, the other night, Charlotte City Council met and once again refused to cave to the mob. Kudos to the Charlotte City Council. Good for them. The mob wanting them to, once again, pass a resolution in support of a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Uh, And then they went outside and uh, blocked a road. Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, they're not setting themselves on fire, so I guess, you know, we should be thankful, grateful that they're not doing that. The group of about 30 people chanted messages including free Palestine of the Jews and from the river to the sea, you know, Palestine shall be free of Jews. Um, they were at the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Government Center. After leaving the meeting on Monday after the public forum period, uh, they went out into the street and blocked the traffic. Shortly after 8 p.m., when the council meeting ended, the remaining protesters blocked East 4th Street, according to video shared by the uh, TV station WSOC-TV. Charlotte Observer reports that police officers asked the group to leave and some were pushed out of the road by the police after a protester appeared to grab an officer's bicycle. The group then walked about the block and chanted again from the government center steps and the crowd dispersed by about 830. Um, Then there was this that uh, the pro-Palestine speakers 
Okay. Palestine, not a place. But anyway, pro-Palestine speakers um, asked the city council. I don't know if they're asking. I, I feel like it's more of a demand, don't you? It feels more like a demand. Maybe that's just me. But they, they are asking, according to the Charlotte Observer, the city council to pass a resolution in support of a ceasefire. Because, as we all know, according to the U.S. Constitution, clearly states there that the Charlotte City Council shall direct U.S. foreign policy with regards to Israel. Right? That's Everybody knows that. It's like Civics 101. I mean, we don't know anything about civics anymore in America. Thank you, GovCo Education. But we all do know that you uh, you go to the Charlotte City Council in order to to get policy changes with regards to Israel, obviously. Mayor Vi Lyles, though, she keeps saying that the council does not pass resolutions on political issues like this. So I don't know who to believe at this point, right? I mean, do I believe the people that are showing up and blocking traffic and shouting down Jews and demanding uh, that uh, the city council pass a, an ineffective, irrelevant resolution that has you know absolutely no... Uh, enforcement properties, or do I believe the mayor who says they don't do these things because they have no, they carry no weight, right? They have no enforcement mechanisms. Meanwhile, the race for attorney general is heating up. Apparently, Jeff Jackson, who you'll recall, uh, Congressman Jeff Jackson, baby Jesus, as he was referred to in the state legislature, um, uh, you'll recall he was the guy who stepped aside to allow Sherry Beasley to run uh, for the U.S. Senate seat. She lost two years ago to Ted Budd. Um, so he stepped aside in order to let Sherry Beasley run, she being a black Democrat woman, and him mentioning that, uh, you know, this was this was the right thing for him to do to allow for a more diverse representation. We've never had a black female U.S. Senator in North Carolina and all of that, but apparently now he's a racist. He is a racist and a sexist to boot because he is uh, saying he's a better candidate for North Carolina Attorney General than a black female. So I'll give you details on that in a moment. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? So you just heard the breaking news there. Mitch McConnell not going to serve out the remainder of his term. He's 81 years old. Uh, He says he will... uh, he will step down in November uh, here. He's he's actually uh, live on the floor of the U.S. Senate right now. Um, okay, well, I wonder why we're not hearing that. That's weird. I just plugged it in, and let's plug it back in, and let's take a listen now. Now there he is. Is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. 
I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job my colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November and they take the helm next January. I'll finish the job the people of Kentucky hired me to do as well, albeit from a different seat. And I'm actually looking forward to that. So it's time for me to think about another season. I love the Senate. It's been my life. There may be more distinguished members of this body throughout our history, but I doubt there were any with any more admiration for the Senate. After all this time, I still got a thrill walking into the Capitol, and especially on this venerable floor, knowing that we, each of us, have the honor to represent our states and do the important work of our country. But Father Time remains undefeated. I'm no longer the young man sitting in the back hoping colleagues would remember my name. It's time for the next generation of leadership. As Henry Clay said in this very body in 1850, the Constitution of the United States was not made merely for the generation that then existed, but for posterity, unlimited, undefined, endless, perpetual posterity. So time rolls on. There'll be a new custodian of this great institution next year won't surprise you to know I intend to turn this job over to a Republican majority leader. <laughs> I have full confidence in my conference to choose my replacement and lead our country forward. There'll be other times to reminisce. I'm immensely proud of the accomplishments I've played some role in obtaining for the American people. Today is not today to discuss all of that because as I said earlier I'm not going anywhere anytime soon there are many challenges we must meet to deliver for the American people and each will have my full effort and attention I still have enough gas in my tank to thoroughly disappoint my critics <laughs> and I intend to do so with all the enthusiasm with which they've become accustomed. <laughs> so to my colleagues, thank you for entrusting me with our success. It's been an honor to work with each of you. There'll be plenty of time to express my gratitude in greater detail as I sprint towards the finish line, which is now in sight. I yield the floor. All right, that's uh, U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell announcing that he is uh, going to be stepping aside as leader of the Republican uh, conference, I guess they call it. The Republicans call them conferences. Democrats call them caucuses or caucus, I believe. Um, 
McConnell, born in 1942 in Alabama, McConnell began his political career in Kentucky in the 1970s. He was first elected in 1977 as the judge executive of Jefferson County, um, which was at that point the highest elected office in the county. He was then narrowly elected to the U.S. Senate in 1984 and has served continuously since then, since 1984. During his time in the Senate, he rose through Republican ranks, starting as majority whip from 03 to 07. He became minority leader in 07, succeeding Trent Lott. He became majority leader in 2015, a position he held until Republicans lost control of the Senate in 2021. Uh, all right, let me jump over and get David on. He's been waiting patiently. Hello, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good. What's up? Oh, uh, you know, I was listening to you talk about the, the city council and that resolution. Yeah. And you're, you're right. These folks need a civics lesson. Bad. Mm-hmm. But what's really funny, Chicago did the same thing, and they passed it. Mm-hmm. And the way the crowd reacted to it, you would think they actually did something. <laughs> I mean, it, it was sad. I mean, I'm watching, I'm shaking my head like, these people are idiots. Yeah. Yeah. Just like this exuberant response the celebratory response and it's like there's nothing nothing has changed not a thing has changed it's all performative i mean it's like you know city council declaring war on mars <laughs> right yeah well i mean that's the thing if these we are watching a uh a generation that believes that hyperbolic hysterics actually means something in, exe- in enacting policy. And it doesn't, right? It doesn't. It's just a performance. And they think that simply doing the performance yields the policy shift, and it does not. And it's uh, that's a perfect example of it. David, I appreciate the call. It's a perfect example of it. Durham passed one of these things. The city of Durham passed a resolution like this. Oh, speaking of Durham, did you know the district attorney from Durham, uh, Satan A., DeBerry is her name. What? It says Satan A. Oh, Satana. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, that could be it too. Anyway, she is the district attorney in Durham County, and she's running for district attorney. Jeff Jackson, congressman, a.k.a. Baby Jesus, he's also running for, uh, attor- or sorry, uh, yeah, for attorney general of North Carolina, and they're up against each other in a Democrat primary. And he, a white guy, said that... He is the best candidate for the gig. And she says that's racist and sexist. Does she know she's talking to baby Jesus here? On Twitter, at Pete Callender. Tom Tillis, U.S. Senator from North Carolina, out with a statement saying, Mitch McConnell is a true legend of the U.S. Senate. Under his historic leadership, the Senate secured a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, passed historic tax reform and enacted bipartisan legislation to save our economy from the brink at the start of the pandemic. By the way, um, also, Molly Hemingway points out, real clear politics favorability ratings, Americans' most disliked political leader is Mitch McConnell. He is beloved by the D.C. set, but among Americans, his favorability ratings are even worse than Joe Biden's. Um... Got a message asking me, Tim wants to know, what is the backstory on calling Congressman Jeff Jackson baby Jesus? This was a term that was uh, used for, uh, it was anonymous. I don't think anybody ever claimed ownership 
uh, for the creation of this term and the application on Jeff Jackson when he was a member of the General Assembly. But it's essentially that the guy is worshipped even though he hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> that was, that was uh, yeah, there were, and this was a label that was applied to him by his fellow Democrats. They called him Baby Jesus, okay? So uh, Colin Campbell, who used to be at the News and Observer, um, then he went over to Business NC, or yeah, Business NC, and uh, now he's at the NPR affiliate up in Raleigh, He says uh, he's got a story here. Two prominent Democrats will face off in next week's primary for attorney general, but the biggest spender in the race is not the two campaigns. It's a shadowy group based in Washington, D.C. I told you guys, you're not going to like this when the rules are applied to you. And now conservatives are doing it right back to the Democrats, good and hard, just like Democrats did it to Republicans. Funding ads in primaries to put the weakest candidate forward. Attorney General Josh Stein's run for governor leaves an open seat for the position that leads the North Carolina Department of Justice. Charlotte Congressman Jeff Jackson and Durham County DA uh, Satana DeBerry are both running in the Democrat primary. The winner will face Dan Bishop. DeBerry argues that she's the best fit for the job. She says, I've literally done everything that the attorney general does because she's a prosecutor. She's a DA in Durham County which is weird because being a DA in Durham County means I don't think you actually prosecute anybody. That's the... I kid. I kid, Satana. Her opponent, Jeff Jackson, also served as a prosecutor. I believe uh, he was an assistant DA in Mecklenburg County for a couple of years before he joined the state Senate and was elected to Congress in 2022. And what he says is, quote, to me, it just boils down to this. The job of attorney general is to make sure that people aren't getting kicked around. That's it. That's the job. And that's the type of public service that I've always been drawn to. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. That's why you've held legislative seats and you were going to run for U.S. Senate. And now you want to be in the executive branch as a lawyer, right? Because that's what has always motivated you. And by the way, that's not actually the gig. To be the attorney general, it's not to make sure that people aren't getting kicked around. It's to uphold the rule of freaking law. We have the campaign, uh, and, uh, or sorry, this is what he says. We have the campaign that I think is best positioned to compete and win in what will be an extremely tough general election against Dan Bishop. This is what Jeff Jackson said. Um, DeBerry replied, I find that to be a racist and sexist argument. It assumes that I am a weak candidate, which I am certainly not. And it only assumes I'm a weak candidate because I'm a black woman. (laughs) Wow. Oh, that's a shame. Shame to see this happen. Oh, yes. The uh, uh, feeding the woke alligator with the, uh, the hope that it eats you last. The problem with that strategy is that it does eat you. Right. That that is how it ends. So. Yeah, the victim Olympics inside the Democrat primary. It's coming for Jeff Jackson. It's coming for the baby Jesus. DeBerry and her supporters argue the Democrats would benefit from having a more diverse slate of candidates at the top of the ticket. The party's front runners for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and Supreme Court are all white people. They have raised more money than their black opponents, too. Quote, 
I'm talking about actual things that can happen here in North Carolina that engages young voters, that engages black voters, and engages women, she said. It would be a shame for the Republican ticket to be more diverse at the top than a Democrat ticket, especially when the Democrats depend on those diverse voters. Yeah, this might be a problem. This might be a problem for the Democrats. You're running as the party of diversity and being the champion for BIPOC. And um, it is BIPOC, by the way, plural and singular. It's a, a, a black, indigenous, people of color. See, so people is the plural. It's also a singular. It could be a person of color, BIPOC. Anyway, so you can't run as the party representing the interests and the needs and desires of BIPOC um, and then not have any BIPOC, you know? You, you, you got to have some some BIPOC representation if you're going to represent BIPOC. It just seems self-evident, you know? The Democrat Party keeps depending on a coalition of voters who almost never end up being the candidates at the top of the ticket. And every election, you ask black women to turn out, you ask rural communities to come out on the first Tuesday in November, and the first Wednesday in November, nothing changes for us. Okay, now that's okay. That's not true, okay? Satana DeBerry, that's not true. They ask you to turn out for like a solid two weeks before Election Day. All right. It's not just the first Tuesday in November. They're asking you to turn out two weeks prior to that, you know. But then, yes, afterwards, then, yeah, sorry that nothing changes for you, which at some point you would think would prompt some of the leaders and the organizers and the activists. You would think at some point it would prompt them to reconsider and reassess whether or not this coalition that they've joined up with is actually doing the thing to advance their interests, right? I was watching, um, I was watching a, uh, uh, episode on YouTube, an interview with an economist. I remember the, the paper that he did, um, I'm trying to remember. It's, I think is, mm, mm, I'm trying to remember Roland. It's not Larry. That's Glenn Lowry, but anyway, he's a black economist and, uh, from, uh, from Harvard, but his story is that like he grew up, you know, with like drug dealing uh, cousins and uh, his his grandmother raised him and he grew up in like Daytona, Florida and he became like the youngest, uh, most celebrated economist, uh, black economist at Harvard. And then in 2016, he did that analysis that found that low level interactions, physical interactions were more prevalent among blacks with cops, but cops were not more likely to kill black offenders. And he was, he was vilified for it. Because that's what the data showed. I remember this day. Anyway, he talks about the, all of the wasted talent in urban neighborhoods. And he's exactly right. There's so many people whose talents are just lost to the society. And so he's always been trying to focus on fixing that. It's an interesting, um, it was a really interesting interview he did with Barry Weiss from the Free Press. Um I urge you to check it out. It's on YouTube. But I do wonder, like, at some point, do you reassess whether or not you have hooked your star or wagon, as it were, to this coalition that's not actually maximizing your talents, not getting you the uh, opportunities that you deserve as an American? I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there.
All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I could not do the show without your support and the support of the businesses that advertise on the podcast. So if you'd like, please support them too and tell them you heard it here. You can also become a patron at my Patreon page or go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Again, thank you so much for listening and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone. 